It was, I see two hands way in the back. It was phenomenal. And when they sang that, the, the artistry of a, of a sunset, that my mind went right to that, the incredible colors uh, that were there. And uh, you, you just had to, I was driving, but I looked anyway, um, which my family will tell you I do all the time. Uh, we need to review just quickly. We've been going uh, the last three, this is the fourth week now that we've been looking at the mission statement of our church, the vision statement. And I want to hear you say it. That we are to be a people who are. Good, you got it. (laughs) You knew it wasn't going to be that easy. We want to, we, we spent time looking at transformed, and we're right in the middle now of looking at what it means to grow in wisdom. And we, we started that last week, and we didn't, weren't real practical last week. We just kind of laid out the foundation. This week, we want to get more, more practical. But we talked, we've talked about transformed by faith, focusing on a changed mind, that, that we're changing our mind, that our faith is, is based in logic, it's based in reason, it's not a blind faith, it's faith that, that Truth is truth. And so we, we change our mind in regards to who God is, and we change our mind about spiritual things. That there's a metamorphosis that takes place and, and refers specifically to that salvation experience, which 85 people last night experienced for the first time. That transformation, that, that metamorphosis. But now those 85 and, and a lot of us here this morning are now on a journey. That that transformation sets us on a journey with Christ, that, that, that we enter into a loving relationship that has an end in mind. Romans chapter 8 verse 29 says that we are all, those that he foreknew, everyone that, that believes, everyone that has been transformed by faith is predestined, which means declared ahead of time, that all believers are to be conformed to the image of his Son. That we're all on this journey of, of transformation, of growing into Christ-likeness, to becoming like Christ. And while transformation happens in an instant, growing in wisdom is a process. That we are to be becoming like Christ. That we are to begin thinking like Christ and to begin acting, behaving like Christ. Last week, we talked about the fact that growing in wisdom is an expectation of every believer, and that we must grow up, that we can't stay spiritual babies forever, that we are on a journey toward becoming like Christ in all that we are and do. And some of you may have left last Sunday frustrated. In fact, I know some of you did. Some, I know, even left a little angry last week. My daughter posted she wasn't angry. My daughter posted uh, her takeaway from the sermon on Facebook before I was even done preaching. (laughs) I looked at the time that the post appeared, and I wasn't done yet. Here's what she said. She said, I am a theologian. I am a philosopher. And I am a brick. I, I didn't pick up on the brick thing during the message, but she did. That was her takeaway. Others said that they didn't like what I said. They didn't like the sermon at all. They couldn't disagree with it. It was true, but they didn't like what it meant for their own life. 
that things were going to have to change in their day-to-day living. Some said they just felt guilty and they would try harder. For those of you that felt guilty, that is not what we are going after. Guilt is never what we are going after. While for some it is a big motivator, I don't ever want to motivate anyone to change by guilt. Because guilt guilt is an emotion. And decisions that are made from emotion usually don't last. Because eventually the guilt goes away and then therefore the motivation goes away. What we are looking for in this series are decisions that are made from convictions. Because convictions come from a changed mind. I've changed the way I think about something. It has now become a conviction in my life that this is true. Convictions come from what you truly believe to be true. It is a belief, it is faith that transforms thought and thought that transforms action. Today we're focusing on the change of action. There's a difference between operating out of guilt and operating out of conviction. And life change comes from conviction. Some of you left last week with conviction. I heard of at least two who left this service and immediately went to a Sunday school class. And they said, you know what, for whatever reason, we got out of Sunday school, but after the sermon, we just feel we need to get back in. I went, hallelujah. That's the Holy Spirit speaking. That's the Holy Spirit convicting, and that's acting upon those convictions, upon that changed mind. We used to think this way, then we started thinking this way. Now we are thinking this way. One word that the author of Hebrews uses uh, 10 times in the first 13 verses of chapter 12. And I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. And if you have the Pew Bible, it's on page 852. But I know that some of you left last week with conviction that I must change. But you left asking the YBH question. Do you know what the YBH question is? YBH is yes, but how? Yes, I agree with everything that was said, but how do I do that? And so this morning we wanted to look at how, and the author of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, gives us the how in this first part of chapter 12. So chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now in this next section, this author uses one word ten times. I want you to see if you can pick up on the word. Because that's the word that will bring about the change in your life. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. I don't know if that was sarcasm or a slap upside the head. And you have forgotten that and and you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My sons do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those who he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? 
If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. What's the word? Discipline. You picked up on it. Discipline. The secret of growing in wisdom to becoming like Christ, to being effective and productive, is our life is to be spiritually disciplined. Discipline can be defined as any activity that I can do by direct effort that will help me do what I cannot do by direct effort. We tend to think of discipline as punishment. Disciplining your kids is a question of do I spank or not spank? I spank. But that's just a part of this word. It's only a part of, of discipline. is not punishment. That's a part of it, but it's only a part. And, and we tend to focus on that part, and therefore discipline becomes a bad thing. I don't want to be disciplined. And so because we don't want to be punished, we lose the positive aspect of the word discipline. Because as the author uses it here, he is actually talking about the whole training and education of a child. That fathers discipline, fathers educate, fathers train. It relates to the cultivation of the mind, the cultivation of morals. To admonish, to reproof. And yes, to punish. You see, God wants to train us to be like Christ. He wants to put things in our life that we can do that will enable us to become what we cannot become simply by trying. How many of you can try to be like Christ and then become like Christ just out of sheer willpower? Just out of sheer effort? It doesn't work. If that was the case, then salvation would not be necessary. There has to be that transformation. There has to be then followed by discipline, a training. And I want us to understand discipline not as punishment but as training. Begin to look at the word that way. That a discipline is something that challenges us. It stretches us. It's an activity that we are intentional about adding to our normal routine. Yes, discipline is hard work. The author of Hebrews also uses the word perseverance, struggle, that it is a dedication, that I can't be sometimes disciplined. Discipline may not be convenient, may cause us to rearrange our life, to make time for them, to, to bring them in, which means probably something in our life needs to disappear. That is why there is no I in discipline. Because discipline is not about me. It's not about me being comfortable. It's not about me being, being uh, happy and, and joy. It's about me growing. It's about me becoming like Christ. It's about me finding joy and happiness in the process. 
We are committed to the point that the discipline will become so ingrained in who we are that the supernatural appears natural. That the discipline, while hard and a struggle at first, almost seems easy at some point because it just becomes a supernatural part of who we are. The Holy Spirit desires to train us to be like Christ. And it only makes sense then that in order to become like Christ, we must do the things Christ did. And herein lies the answer to the YBH question. Yes, growing in wisdom is expected, but how? We must be actively involved in the spiritual disciplines. Denny said a few weeks ago, the very first sermon that we were Uh, that we started this whole series in, he said, there is no forgiveness without repentance. And that's more than saying sorry. That's a change of behavior. There is no salvation without surrender. That's a change of priorities and preferences. There is no life without death. There is no believing without committing. And I say this morning, there is no disciple without discipline. The Holy Spirit works from within each of us, preparing us to become like Christ. Any activity I can do by direct effort that will help me do what I cannot do by direct effort. I cannot be like Christ just out of direct effort. I can't just decide, okay, I'm going to be like Christ and be like Christ. I have to do things that will enable me to be like Christ. Dallas Willard in his book, The Spirit of the Discipline, says the disciplines are activities of mind and body purposefully undertaken to bring our personality and total being into effective cooperation with the divine order. I said, this is not light reading. Let me just say that sentence again. The disciplines are activities of mind and body purposefully or intentionally undertaken to bring our personality and total being into effective cooperation with God. They enable us more and more to live in a power that is, strictly speaking, beyond us, deriving from the spiritual realm itself as we yield ourselves to God as those that are alive from the dead and our members as instruments of righteousness unto God, as Romans 6.13 put it. A disciplined person is someone who can do the right thing at the right time, in the right way, with the right spirit. So the rest of the morning, I want us to look at what these spiritual disciplines are. And the 10 that I have listed is by no means, in your, in your sermon notes, is by no means a, a, an all-inclusive list. I've read three or four books that deal with the spiritual disciplines working through scripture and every book has a slightly different list there's a a majority of them are the same but they always add one or two others so i've kind of compiled those lists into these 10 and these are 10 spiritual disciplines that we really want to be fostering within our lives as individuals and as a church and as we go through these and we'll go through them rather quickly because there's 10 of them, and I've only got about 20 more minutes. That means two minutes per time, and I'm already wasting some of that on the first one by explaining to you that we got to go through them quickly. <laughs> a few months ago, maybe a year or, or somewhere in that vicinity, I don't remember exactly, I took, I took 11 weeks on Sunday night to walk through the spiritual disciplines. 
And so I'm jamming all 11 weeks into the next 20 minutes. And some of you are going to walk out of here going, I didn't get any of that. And that's okay, because starting in March, during the, this hour, uh, in the Sunday school class on the stage, we're going to start a Sunday school class on the spiritual disciplines. We're going to take each one uh, a week and begin to unpack it so that we can gain a better understanding. So this morning, broad stroke overview. Starting in March in Sunday school, much more detailed look at what each of these uh, spiritual disciplines mean. So what I want you to do is as we go through, I want you to rate yourself one to ten. One meaning I have never done that before in my life. Ten being that's a regular part of who I am and anything or any number in between. All right, so just in your sermon notes, write a little number right next to each one as we go through it. Worship is the first one. And I'm not talking about coming to church every week. Okay, I'm not talking about singing with the congregation. That, that I don't know that you can mark a 10 if it's because you don't miss a Sunday morning. Okay? Spirit and truth is an, is an all-the-time worship where, where John says that Jesus said God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. You see, this is acknowledging God in the everyday. Worship is a moment-by-moment experience. It's not an event we go to. And so when I rise up in the morning, I praise him. When I lay down at night, I praise him. When I go to work, I praise him. When I, when I am done with a conversation at work, I praise him. That that, that worship is, a, is an attitude of my spirit. It's an attitude of my mind. It's an attitude of my heart that I, that I never leave. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What enabled Job to say that was not because he was a spiritual giant, but that he had established a discipline of worship in his life. And so no matter what the circumstances, praise the Lord. Where would you rate yourself on a scale of 1 to 10 on the discipline of personal worship? Number two, prayer. Mark relates a story that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Why, could they, why did they know where to find him? Why did they know we're looking for Jesus early in the morning? Everyone else was up. It was groggy. Where did Jesus go? We got to go find him. But they knew where to go. Why? Because it was an everyday part of what Jesus did. They knew where to find him. In fact, it was such a big part that eventually at some point they said, would you teach us to do that? Richard Foster says in prayer, real prayer, we begin to think God's thoughts after him. To desire the things he desires. To love the things he loves. To will the things he wills. You see, prayer, prayer is, yes, us coming with our requests but it is leaving with God's requests. It is us coming with our own will and our desire, but it is leaving that time with God's will and God's desires. Prayer is not just bringing a list of wants. It is aligning our hearts with God. Prayer is as much about listening as it is about talking. Where would you rate yourself on a scale of one to ten? on the discipline of personal prayer. 
Number three, Bible study. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. When I say Bible study, I stress the word study. A word that we use that I don't know was used in the, in the biblical uh, times. It's not a word that, that appears reg- regularly throughout Scripture. But it's a word we use and we can understand what I think Scripture is talking about. Because I've been unable to find a command where we are to personally read the Scripture. I had to chew on that this week. I spent, I spent a lot of time chewing on just this one discipline, this, this Bible study. Because I couldn't find in the Scripture where we're to read. The references in the Bible as to the Scripture being read was always in a public setting. We're never commanded to read Scripture. When it was read, it was read publicly. And then I got to thinking, well, of course, nobody owned their own copy. Each church probably only had, or each temple only had one copy and not a complete set. And so they would publicly read, and people would come, and they would listen, and then they would go home, and they would what? Meditate on what they heard. They would think on what they heard. They would employ it in their hearts and in their minds, ingrain it into their lives on what they had just heard. God has given us his word that while we are still to be reading it publicly, now we have the opportunity to study it privately. We can actually take that home with us and chew on it and really wrestle with the truth. That the, the Bible uses words like meditate, crave, hide in your heart, dwell in us richly, love, treasure, live out. This means that if all you are doing is reading, while there is some benefit, it's falling short of really what this, this discipline is talking about. That we need to be studying. So where would you rate yourself on a scale of one to ten? On the discipline of personal study. Fourth one is service. John chapter 13, now, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now that you have seen the example of service, of personal service, now discipline your life to serve others. Churches everywhere, and we, we've been having this discussion as a staff, churches everywhere are burdened by trying to find volunteers. People who are willing to just step in and do. Now, now when we have an event like the Venison Dinner, and I mentioned last week that all the sign-ups, we had a, uh, more volunteers than we, than we needed. We had everything that we, we needed as far as volunteers. And, and it's easy to find an event. Why? Because, well, I can give you one day. I can set aside a weekend. But, but you talk like you want me to give you time every week. That you want me involved in a ministry that's going to be weekly, that's going to be ongoing, that's going to take a lot of my time. Yes, it is. Do as I have done. Because a lot of Christians don't like the hard work of service. We don't want it to 
to, to, to interrupt our daily routine. Now, Denny's going to talk about that because one of the part of our, of our mission statement is we're going to be intentional in service. So I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it here. I'm just going to ask, where would you rate yourself on a scale of 1 to 10? On the discipline of personal service. Ongoing others first. Number five is evangelism. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Evangelism is just that. It's simply telling others what we know to be true about Jesus. It's living that life. It's, it's, it's bringing people to the challenge of deciding for themselves, yes, Jesus is true, no, Jesus is not. And it's living a life and, and saying the words. It's building relationships with people who don't have a personal relationship with him. Again, we're going to hit that when we talk about intentional and relationships. But it is the intentional. It's I'm building this relationship. And the foundation of me, the reason why I'm building this relationship is I want you to know what I know. I want you to find what I have found. Sharing the gospel, spreading good news, sharing our testimony, sharing our faith, sharing with words and deeds to those that are lost and separated from God. Where would you rate yourself on a scale of one to 10 on the discipline of personal evangelism? Number six, Sabbath rest or solitude. Many put those two together. Luke chapter 6 says, one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Now, to put this in context, what Jesus was doing is he was spending the night praying to God, and when he came down off that mountain, he chose the 12. And so he knew that he needed an extended period of time away, an extended period of time by himself with his father, because the decision that he was about to make and the men that he was about to call we're going to change the world. And that decision could not be done lightly. He couldn't just say, okay, number off one through, you know, whatever. He couldn't just blindly say, you, 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 and you. That it had to be a, a, an intense time of prayer, of solitude, of getting away. And so he went away to the mountainside and spent the night praying. Do you take regular planned time away Times that you spend with a Bible, a notebook, and Jesus, nothing else. I'm not talking devotions in the morning. I'm talking extended times away. You take a Saturday morning and you, you go away for four hours somewhere with the intent of hearing from God, with the intent of, of refreshing your soul. These are times that we reflect on life, where we are headed, where we have been, how we have gotten off course, where our life is at. The majority of Christians in the United States are not very good at this because we're just too busy. And if we're not, if we don't have time for this, then yes, we are too busy. Something needs to go. Slow down the pace. Take time to be alone with God. More than devotions, this is, this is, a, this is a, an intense time with him. You may, you may if, if music's your thing, you're going to take music into that. 
But, but it's listening to God, reflecting, getting new direction. Where would you rate yourself on a scale of one to 10 on the discipline of personal solitude? Personal rest. Number seven is confession. James 5, 16 says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. This is another one we're not real good at because we're very private people. As Americans, we we aren't good at this whole confession thing. And I don't want people to know what's deep, deep down. I don't want people to know where I struggle. I've got to present a solid front. I've got to present that I am on top of things, which is why we all look good, sound good, and behave good when we walk through those doors on Sunday morning, where I know there's a bunch of you right now that are struggling with stuff that you would never share with anyone. But here we aren't talking about hanging out your dirty laundry so that everyone can see. But do you have a couple other people who know you, who know your weaknesses, who know the the sin that so easily entangles you, that are walking beside you to support you and hold you up, that when you do sin, you can confess to them that it happened again? That they can come beside you and pray for you and care for you. We're not talking about standing up and shouting it on Sunday morning. But, but there is confess to one another. Confess your sins to each other. That there needs to be that, those each others in our life. That do know us. Because the, the more we hide it, the more it will control us. Anyone who's ever been through a 12-step program will tell you that that when you get it out, when you confess it, when other people know it, it's much easier to defeat because you're no longer fighting it alone. And so confess to one another. Where would you rate yourself on a scale of 1 to 10 on the discipline of personal confession? Do people know you? Number eight, stewardship. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. This parable stresses that everything we have, time, abilities, uh, finances, resources, has been given to us by God. That we are just simply managers of his stuff. We're not owners of our stuff. That everything I have, I don't own, I manage And that we need to begin looking at ourselves as managers of stuff, not owners of stuff. Because if we are managers of somebody else's stuff, we'll make sure that we use it the way somebody else wants it used. And so as a steward of God's time, of God's abilities, of God's resources, I'm going to use all of that the way he wants me to use it. There's no I in discipline. We are simply caretakers to everything that God has given us. Everything that we have is ultimately his. The question is, what are we doing with it? Have we invested it so that God gets a return, so that God gets a glory? Are we investing our time into godly things? Are we investing our resources into godly things? Are we investing our abilities and our talents into godly things so that God gets the glory and God gets the resources? Do you notice I didn't say I other than am I doing for God? 
stewardship of stuff, where would you rate yourself on a scale of one to 10 on the discipline of personal stewardship? Number nine, and these are in absolutely no order, submission. Mark chapter eight, then he called his, the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Submission is another word we don't like when applied to us. To give over or yield to the power or the authority of another to submit to somebody else's desires for us, to allow someone else to tell us what to do, to submit to that authority. This is not the same as obedience. Okay, submission is not the same as obedience. You can obey a person and not submit to them. You know, it's like the little kid who is, re- who is repeatedly told to sit down, sit down, sit down, and they don't sit down, and so you go and you make them sit down, and they say, I'm sitting down on the outside, but on the inside, I'm still jumping up and down. How many of us treat God that way? We'll obey, but we're not going to submit. We'll do it begrudgingly. We'll do it out of guilt. But submission is a, is a conviction that God is right and my, my life is best served within his, under his authority, under his power. And so we submit to him. The, the Bible would define submission as denying self. Jesus set the example of submission by living his entire life on earth with others in mind. Not my will, but thy will be done, Father. And, and if we will spend those, you see, all of these disciplines work together. It's tough to do one and not the other nine. It's tough to do five and not the other five. Because, it, because the submission comes after those times of rest and solitude when we discover what God's perfect, pleasing will is, and then we are, submit ourselves to his will. But a lot of times, because we haven't spent the time discerning his will in our life, it's tough to submit to him. And so we bounce from guilt to guilt to guilt to guilt when a sermon comes up and says we ought to do this. Well, okay, I, I, okay, I ought to do it. And I give it a try and it doesn't work. And next week we get another one and next week we get, and we just bounce because we've not spent that quiet time studying the word, finding out who God is and the direction that he has for our life and times in solitude and rest so that we can submit to the one we know. If, any have, if anyone had a right to force their own way, it was Jesus. But he voluntarily laid down his life. He laid down his position. He laid down his authority. He laid down his rights to achieve what God wanted to achieve. So where would you rate yourself on a scale of one to 10 on the discipline of spiritual submission? And the last one is fasting. This is my least favorite, because I like food. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the, in the desert where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. <laughs> I chuckle every time I read that. No kidding. 40 days in the desert, tempted by the devil, 
without eating, and at the end you had to tell me he was hungry? There's times I've gone 40 minutes after a meal and I'm looking for food. 40 days. Now, fasting is oftentimes a misunderstood discipline. When was the last time you really heard a sermon on fasting? I mean, an entire sermon given to fasting. When was the last time you read a book on the subject? Uh, Foster, uh, Richard Foster, who wrote uh, a book on the spiritual disciplines, which I have for you in the, at the end of the sermon notes, he said from 1861 to 1954, he could not find a book that was written on the subject of fasting. Almost a hundred years of history, no one ever talked about it. No one wrote a book about it, which means no one really probably had it into their life. And so for really, this is kind of a newer concept for us in the last 50 or 60 years. Our society is not structured with fasting in mind. We have fast food, three square meals. Taco Bell now promotes the fourth meal of the day. It's that meal before you go to bed. We are all well-fed, many times overfed, many times gluttonously fed. Do you know that the U.S. leads the world in obesity with estimates as high as 31% of the population are considered obese? That the body mass index of greater than 30, that there are 1 billion people worldwide who are overweight, 300 million who are considered obese? You see, fasting is a physical as well as a spiritual problem. We just love food. We love to eat. Kids in school, they have breakfast, then they have to take a snack before lunch, and then they have lunch, and then there's a snack as soon as they get home, and then supper, and then a bedtime snack. uh, Most kids are putting something in their mouth every two to three hours. I was working on this sermon sitting in Panera. (laughs) Thinking that a cinnamon crunch bagel would be really good right now. (laughs) The idea of skipping a meal, let alone several meals in a row, doesn't compute with us. The voluntary denial of a normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity is how Richard Foster defines fasting. It's not just food. We can fast on a behavior to to set aside that behavior for a period of time and focus intensely on spiritual things. Fasting is not just skipping a meal. It's not just dieting. But it's diet, or it's, it's skipping a meal with a purpose that I'm going to take that time I would normally be eating and I'm going to focus upon God. And then every time those hunger pains come, I'm going to focus upon God. And this is a regular part of life. There are some people I know that fast every week. They'll, they'll take a day every week and that's their day of fasting. There are some, I, I know some pastor friends of mine who did a 40-day fast. That's not something you decide today and start tomorrow. Your body will have all kinds of physical issues. But fasting, fasting, if if we conceive of it truly, must not only be confined to the question of food and drink. Fasting should be really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some special spiritual purpose. 
setting aside to focus intently on God. Jesus did it. The disciples did it. Where would you rate yourself on a scale of one to 10 on the discipline of personal fasting? Now, what we need to do with all of this information is I've given you 10 behaviors that need to become a natural, regular part of our lives to where when we're doing them, we're not even cognizant, we're not even aware that we're doing them because they've just become so much of who we are. And all doing these things will enable us to grow in wisdom and to become like Christ because we can't just become like Christ with effort. We have to put our effort into these things and these things will lead us. They're the doorway to becoming like Christ. So I want you to go home this week and really reflect on these 10 things. And maybe do a little more study, a little more research. Pick up one of the books. I know they're in the library. We don't have 800 copies of them. But if you beeline it to the library right after this, you can get the one you want, okay, of the books that I've listed. Or buy one. And, and I want you to really begin looking at your own life. And maybe start with the ones you marked really low this morning. Because we all need to grow. We all need to be, be on that journey of becoming like Christ. And the Holy Spirit hasn't made it hard and difficult. He's given us the things we need. We just need to use them. So this week, begin using what the Holy Spirit wants to take us in this journey to Christhood. Father, we are thankful that you are a God, that you have laid out a path for us. You've laid out a plan for growth. We don't have to come up with it. You've given us things, you've, most of all, the Holy Spirit in our life and, the, and word in our hearts. Father, may we take quality time this week to reflect on you and where we are in that journey. Father, that each one here this morning would be growing in wisdom. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.